0: All right, everyone, come on in and grab a seat. We're going to get started with our time of teaching. Um, Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll dive in. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that Jesus teaches us how to live. He doesn't just say, here's a standard to live up to, and you better live up to it or else. He says, here's a way to live that leads to abundant life. Here is a way to wisely, skillfully joyfully navigate a very fallen world. And so I pray that you would um, empower us to continue to follow you and lean into you, and that we would walk into the way of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys have Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're gonna be starting in verse 13 today, right where Grant left off last week. Um, if you're new, uh, we've been working our way through a series called About That Life. In this series, we've been working line by line through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he's teaching his followers what it means to be his followers. And the message he's been communicating throughout this series is that it isn't just what we believe cognitively that matters, it's how we live, Many people have a distorted view of Jesus, the gospel, and the church because of people who failed to obey or live out what Jesus taught while talking often very loudly about Jesus. It's like they don't live like him, but they talk a lot about him. Jesus taught that what what we believe matters, but equally important is how we live. And so we've covered how followers of Jesus should approach and view our identity our purpose, our approach to the Bible, our sexuality and singleness, our marriages and our view of divorce, our anger and our anxiety and our emotional health, our motivations for doing good, our financial resources, our security, our relationships, and our integrity, just to name a few. Jesus covered all of that. And all these different, teaches, all these different teachings cover different aspects of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a learner of Jesus And a core idea we've talked about in this series is we don't get to pick and choose the ideas we like and the ideas we don't. Like if we're a follower of Jesus, we take all of it. And if we follow his teaching, here's the thing, it's going to lead to one place. And if we don't follow his teaching, it's going to lead to another place. And so whether you choose to trust Jesus or how much you choose to trust Jesus with has a direct effect on the type of person you or I will become. Uh, I'm in a, uh, Grant and I are in a cohort right now uh, on spiritual formation, the idea of how we're formed spiritually. One of the key ideas of spiritual formation is that everyone is being formed all the time, whether they know it or not. The whole field of spiritual formation has arose to say, we got to be intentional about it or we're not going to become who we want to be. That's true, not just of the people that go, or that's true of all of us. We've been formed by our family of origin. We're formed by messages we hear every day. We're formed by our own internal world and lies we believe. And so, again, whether we choose to trust Jesus directly determines the type of person we will become and the quality of life we will lead. Which leads us to today's message What life are we choosing? Throughout this series, we've used life, and it's about that life. We've used life as the name of the sermons, the gracious life, the peaceful life, the content life. Today is called The Way of Life. We're going to talk about the way that we live. So if you guys have Bibles, again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. Uh, By the way, tough text for me this morning. Uh, Just real doozy, just so you guys know. But whether or not it's, a, it's, it's, it's hard-hitting or not, um, I always want us to come back to this reality that these are Jesus' te- words. This is the king of the universe teaching you something. And so if you're here and you're a member of our church or you're a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you right now to do your best to get present, to be able to listen and hear. And so for a lot of us, I would challenge you to close your eyes maybe right now, maybe to relax a little bit. No one's going to take your purse. You can hold it if you want to. But close your eyes. Do your best to feel your feet on the ground. Do your best to feel your back in your chair. Again, this isn't a new age weird thing. This is you being present to you, knowing God through his spirit is here. Let me slow down your breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth, and in your own way internally, I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, would you teach me through this fallible man with the microphone would you teach me through Jesus's infallible word something that I need to hear and so father would you speak through me and in spite of me in Jesus name amen I'm going to read this over you now okay and if you want to keep your eyes closed you can whatever helps you focus it says enter through this is Jesus enter through the narrow gate For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit are grapes gathered by thorn bushes or figs from thistles. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That's the end of our text for this morning. Now, these aren't exactly uh, what a mentor of mine would call bumper sticker verses or coffee cup verses. Probably been like a Christian coffee shop, like, no, you know, depart from me. These are hard words that if we're honest, we'd want to avoid. Again, if I didn't teach verse by verse through the Bible, I probably wouldn't pick this to teach on, right? I know some of you guys, this is your first day at our church. I'm like, I'm pumped you're here for this. You're like, I knew it. Many scholars believe that at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, the end of chapter 7, Jesus is, is, is bringing his message to a, to a close. That he's done with his main teaching points and is now giving concluding remarks. And again, the way Jesus ends his sermon is a doozy. Um, he doesn't call the band up to play emotional music, he doesn't end with a story to get you to cry or inspire you to fly, like an eagle, kind of seal style. He doesn't call people forward to pray. He gives a couple of really intense warnings. Grant's got one more next week. He basically says, I have been teaching you about how to live the life. I'm teaching you (laughs) how to be about that life, how to live a good and beautiful life. But if you don't choose this life, you will choose another life. And you need to know that it will not be a good, beautiful, or true life. And it will cost you everything. Um, A spiritual director I really respect, a man named Michael Mangist, encourages those he sees for spiritual direction to do an imaginative exercise. You might even do this as I describe it. If you want to close your eyes again, it's getting kind of weird today with the eyes closing. But this is what he encourages people to do. He, uh, He describes it this way. He says, pilgrims follow the way wherever it goes. If my eyes are on Christ, no obstacle will distract me from him. If life forces me to take detours, I will find my way back, to, uh, back on track as long as I keep my eyes on my destination. I occasionally encourage others to engage in a contemplative exercise that helps them stay focused on their destination. I encourage them to meditate on themselves as an old man or woman. To imagine themselves near the end of their life. And I ask them questions about the person that they think they see. How will they interact with people at that point in their life? What will be important to them on that day? Which things which seem important now will have fallen by the wayside? What will they regret? What will they be known for? A similar exercise involves writing your own eulogy. What would you want said about your funeral if it had to be true? How would you like to be remembered? He says, such, such, such exercises are important because when I choose the person in the future that I would like to become, I have defined a route, or for today's purposes, a way. Whatever life brings between now and then, I want to make sure I don't lose my bearings become someone else, someone I don't like, someone who looks nothing like Jesus. If I imagine myself as a kind and gentle old man in the future, but now I am harsh and critical, I need to make sure that the pilgrimage of my life brings about a change in my soul. Sad to say we can make colossal mistakes in our choice of who we want to become, especially when our goal is not consistent with Jesus' call to us. Many people set their sights on becoming wealthy and successful only to arrive there and discover that they don't like or respect themselves and neither does anyone else. At the end of their lives, they do not like who they have become. And so my question for you this morning, close quote, is who are you becoming? Have you guys ever heard of the phrase uh, metacognition? You guys ever heard of that phrase before? Uh, It's a fancy word. It just means you're thinking about thinking, okay? Uh, Like you're thinking about how you think. Good therapists do this with you. Good philosophers do this. Um, But but do you think about how you think? Do you think about how you live or do you just live? Do you just react to life? Does life just happen to you and form you and shape you? Everything from suffering to algorithms to overbearing parents to – your kids' sports schedule, whatever, like are you just formed and shaped by what hits you or or are you intentionally becoming someone? Like, again, who are you becoming? As you consider your relational patterns, what will your relationships look like in 40 years? With friends, children, brothers, sisters, the church? As you consider your sexual formation and the way you choose to use your body now and the neurological pathways you are forming in your brain, what will your sexuality look like in 40 years? As you consider your vocational journey, will you value the work you're doing now in 40 years? Will you be glad you gave your life to it? Will it be meaningful work to you? Will it be trivial work? Will it be work you threw yourself into at the expense of your family and your soul? As you consider your emotional world, are you on track to be enslaved by your emotions in 40 years? Or burning out because you've ignored those emotions and wouldn't let them in? Or are you on track to experience life being fully present to yourself, others, and God, enjoying the emotions as the God-given tool they are to experience life? Choosing who we're going to become is the big idea in this text today. Jesus is calling us to choose who we want to become. You guys remember those books, Choose Your Own Adventure? I know I'm like dating myself a little bit, like a paper book, not a Kindle, with pictures in it. And you kind of read, and you're like, all right. If you want to do this, go to page eighty. I guess that's just video games, right? You just that's what everyone's. All right, it's fine. You guys know what I'm talking about. But you're you're kind of living out a story. You're reading a story, and then you have to make a choice: go here or go here. Right? Kill the guy now or run away. Um, and in life, man, we have choices we need to make. And so to become who Jesus is calling us to be, we have to choose. And for today's purposes, I have two things we're going to talk about. We have to choose our path. And we have to choose our prophets. We have to choose our path, we have to choose our prophets. Start by looking at number one, our path. Again, Matthew seven thirteen to 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the, rod, the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. And so Jesus says there are two roads or two paths and they're going in to two different places, which means you have to make a choice. There's a fork in the road for all of humanity. Which way will we go? And you cannot go down both of them simultaneously, which means you have to make a choice. And Jesus says that one choice is the wide path and the other is the narrow path. The first one is is, uh, the wide one that leads to destruction. And again, I, I found... What Anglican theologian John Stott said about, the, what, about what wide means here to be incredibly insightful. He says, one way is wide. The word means spacious, roomy, or easy. And some manuscripts cons, uh, combine these images and call this way wide and easy. There is plenty of room on it for diversity of opinions and laxity of morals. It is the road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curbs, no boundaries of either thought or action. Travelers on the road follow their own inclinations. That is the desires of the human heart in its fallenness. Superficiality, self love, hypocrisy, mechanical religion, false ambition, sensuousness. These things do not have to be learnt or cultivated. Effort is needed to resist them, not to cultivate them. No effort is required to practice them. That is why the broad road is easy. Simpler way to say it, uh, Dallas Willard once said, the broad road is just doing whatever you want to do. <laughs> now, another thing you need to know is that what makes the way broad or narrow in the ancient world was the gate itself. So if you're going to go down a certain road, depending on the size of it, that dictated what you could bring through. It's kind of like, uh, I just, me and Clive just took our, uh, we took our first... Kind of plane ride together. Um, and like based on the ticket you have and the financial ends you have, that determines how many bags you can bring on and what you're flying, right? you fly Frontier, they're like, maybe you're, you're at, you want your whole body to get there. You've got to pay extra, right? Uh, if you're like, whatever, first-class Emirates, it's like, bring your house. Like, you'll be fine. And in, in the ancient world, kind of what dictated how much baggage you could bring on was the size of the gates that you were coming through. And again, the Y gate seems to have no restriction Stott again says, there is evidently no limit to what we can take with us. We need leave nothing behind, not even our sins, self-righteousness, or pride. The gate leading to the hard way, on the other hand, is narrow or small. We have to look for it to find it. It is easy to miss. As Jesus said in another connection, it is as narrow as a needle's eye. Further in order to enter enter it, we must leave behind everything. Sin, selfish ambition, covetousness, even family and friends if necessary, for we cannot follow Christ unless we have first denied ourselves. And so there's these two roads, you've got two gates, and there's two destinations. Um, throughout scripture, God uses leaders and teachers to call people to make a choice about whether they will follow him or not and whether they'll end up in the destination or not. We see this in the Old Testament with the promised land, which we'll get to in a second. But often what happens is God, through prophets often, and through leaders, he puts the stakes in front of his people. And yet it's remarkable how often the choice is made to walk away from God. Like he tells them up front, here are the stakes. Here's the choice you're making. And you see that so often humanity chooses the other. Can we see this throughout the storyline of the scriptures. Um, Yahweh, God, he puts Adam and Eve in the garden not withholding any good thing from them. And he tells them not to do one thing. And that one thing represents rejecting him, ruling themselves, and determining for themselves what is good and bad. He then calls Abraham from modern-day Iraq and makes a covenant with him to form a nation. And he has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. And he has 12 sons who become the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the youngest son, Joseph, sold into slavery in Egypt, where he... Um, thrives in really hard conditions, and he saves the family during a famine. He ends up second in command in Egypt. 400 years later, their family has grown into a nation of thousands, and they're an enslaved people group. They're not the dominant group. And then Yahweh, um, it's a long story, but he delivers his people from slavery, crushing their oppressors supernaturally by parting the Red Sea and bringing them out. And within weeks, 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 not months, not years. Within weeks, they're worshiping idols. They're complaining about the leaders God gave them. That doesn't happen anymore, by the way. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a little pastor joke from my friends in the front. Just kidding. They're complaining about God's goodness, and this is wild. They're missing their time in Egypt when they were slaves. I've heard it once said it took a day to get Israel out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And over 40 years, the people rebel against God. They refuse to trust him or the leaders he provided for them, which you can read about in Exodus and Numbers. And they experienced a lot of pain because of this. And eventually, Moses, in a moment of frustration with the people, forfeits his right to enter into the promised land. And before he died, he warns Israel a book called Deuteronomy it means second law I always thought it was like a surfer (laughs) book as a kid like Deuteronomy (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) but dude it's it's like do like you know do yeah yeah French too yeah second law and in Deuteronomy 30 it's the last book of the Torah and it's the it's the end of the Torah is the end of Moses essentially Joshua takes over as the leader of Israel at the end of uh, Deuteronomy, but right before Moses dies, he says some things to Israel. Deuteronomy 30, he says this to the people. He says, See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. It's a choice. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands, statues, and ordinances so that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen, and you are led astray to bow and worship to other gods and serve them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish, and you will not prolong your days in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Hear this. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live Love the Lord your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him, for he is your life, and he will prolong your days as you live in the land the Lord swore to give you to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Moses goes, man, you guys are about to be a nation. Like, y'all are about to go do it. But what are you going to be about as a people? You're only a nation because I made you a nation. You're only free because I made you free. You're only getting that land because I'm giving you that land Are you going to live in that identity? Are you going to do your own thing? And man, if you read the Old Testament, it's bad. The book of Judges comes after this. It's bad. Uh, Hundreds of years later, the psalmist would write in Psalm 1, again, a choice, kind of two ways of moving. Psalm 1, he says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. Listen to what it's like to choose that. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. I want a life like that. Don't just think prosper like money. Like I want a life where the things I give myself to or pour myself into, God does things through them. Meaningful things. But then there's a choice. Verse 4, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to ruin. And again, we know all throughout Israel's history, in spite of these invitations and these warnings, the people so often choose sin and pain. And so we have a choice to make regarding the path we're going to walk in this life. Jesus echoes these ideas. Now, there's a new covenant reality. Jesus dies in our place, and he fills us with his spirit to empower us to walk in these ways. But it's still a choice we have to make. For some of us to, to believe in Jesus for the first time, to receive the Holy Spirit and for the rest of us to actually choose to obey the Spirit's promptings. Start again at the end here. This is so hopeful. This says to summarize. There are, according to Jesus, only two ways, easy and hard. There is no middle way. Entered by two gates, wide and narrow, there is no other gate. Trotten by two crowds, large and small, there is no neutral group. Ending in two destinations, destruction and life, there is no third alternative. And then Stott says this, this was written 40 years ago. It is hardly necessary to point out that such talk is extremely unfashionable today. (laughs) People like to be uncommitted. Every opinion poll allows not only for a yes or a no answer, but for a I'm not sure or I don't want to say. To deviate from the middle way is to risk being dubbed an extremist or fanatic. Everybody resents being faced with the necessity of a choice, but Jesus will not allow us to escape it. By the way, the wide path can be found in church. Somebody comes to church, it could could be in this church. Somebody comes to church week in and week out and listens to the teaching of Jesus and doesn't respond to it or change a thing. You're like, cool idea, Andy. (laughs) Right? Right? Julia, cool idea about loving your enemy. <laughs> I'm not actually going to do that ever, but I love the way you talked about that idea. Cool idea about sexual purity grant. Not really my thing, but I think for others, it could be really cool. Cool idea about generosity or fasting, but, but not this week. Right? Love the idea about salt and light, you know. but I'm not going to let Jesus invade my workspace or approach my job differently because I follow him. Again, the wide path is being true to yourself. The wide path is you do you. The wide path is speaking and believing your own truth and living out of that. Now, one of the things I just mentioned regarding how God uses uh, about this wide path is that um, God often puts the choice of the wide path and the narrow path before his people. And the way that he often does that is through leaders. And, And God uses leaders to call us to the path, which leads us to today's second point. To become who Jesus is calling us to be, we must choose not only our path, but number two, our prophets as well. We need to choose our prophets. Jesus says in verse 15, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. I know, upbeat stuff today, you guys. Now, in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible, prophets are people who speak on behalf of God and they define what is And call people back to him and his ways. Like this is who God is. This is the reality he has created us for. Come back to him. Every prophet is essentially saying the same thing. Come back to him. There are threats of judgment. There are invitations. There are assurances of of mercy if you come back. But it's over and over again. the, the, The baseline idea is come back to God and live in his ways. Do not be a people of idolatry and injustice. Become a people of true worship and true righteousness. That happens over and over and over again. So if that's what a true prophet does, what does a false prophet do? A false prophet speaks on behalf of themselves, not on behalf of God, defining reality as they see fit, calling people to live within their definition of right or wrong. And man, we got a lot of prophets today. False ones, that is. In Greek, it says (laughs) pseudo-prophets. Jesus assumed, here's the thing you need to know, he assumed that there were false prophets, as did the apostles. We're warned, uh, probably, I think around ten times in the New Testament, there are significant warnings around false teachers, false prophets, and false apostles. Which means, not everyone is right. I know, controversial statements today. But seriously, like, like people intentionally want to deceive others. Paul says that there are teachers who gather around people to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. I don't want to be challenged. I want my thing. And we have a culture that goes, if you tell me what I want's wrong, I'll kill you. I'll destroy you. I'll ruin you. Now, here's the thing. We can, we can like, talk trash about the world we live in, but that's true of all of us. We all want someone to tell us what we want to hear. You, you, we have all asked someone for advice when really what we wanted them to do was, was tell us where, what we're thinking is awesome already. We want to buy the thing, date the person, go, the, go to the place, switch the job. Now, um, again, unless you grew up in like a Pentecostal church, but some of you guys did my wife grew up in a black Pentecostal church. But if you didn't, you probably didn't refer to anyone as prophet so-and-so, mostly just pastor or elder. But again, I want to say this isn't just in the church. Now, again, this might seem, I don't know if you've noticed this, this might feel like a random segue. I don't know if you were, you were like, okay, I was kind of following, choose the way, choose the way, choose the way. Whole breakdown on false prophets job description, right? Um, Now, here's the thing. Jesus was talking about the path and purpose of our lives, right? And now he's shifted to this. And again, you may go, man, maybe Jesus needs a communications one-on-one class to understand how to structure a talk. It's hard to follow. feels like a non sequitur. What does this have to do with what we were just talking about? Here's what it has to do with what we were just talking about. The path we choose to walk on is intimately connected to the walking guides we choose, the path we choose to walk on is intimately connected to the walking guides we choose who we allow the greatest influence to speak into our lives impacts who we become like almost nothing else outside of core core messages in your family of origin that you can't choose anyways this is probably the most important cho- this is the most important choice you could make in terms of what shapes who you become that impacts our beliefs and our practices now we might not call them prophets anymore but false teaching is everywhere. There are pastors. There's a bunch of bad pastors and a lot of bad churches. Um, more recently, in the last, uh, you know, with the advent of social media and stuff, there's podcasters. ton of false prophets in the podcasting world. Now, again, as I talk about podcasts, I don't, you, I don't want you to hear, avoid all podcasts, Andy's anti. No, what I want you to go is, are you discerning about what you listen to? So what, here's what I'm With all this stuff I'm going to talk about, because I might sound like a fundamentalist in a second. Hear me out. But but again, I think this is such an idol in our culture. To talk about it makes you a fundamentalist, basically. What I'm not doing is asking you to throw out whole categories of media. What I'm asking you to do is to say, um, who should be my strongest influences? And I'm going to say it should never be someone you don't know. And two, do I discern what message is being brought to me by these forms of media? Does that make sense? Okay, I'm not like, don't ever listen to a podcast. Just go, hey, why am I listening to this podcast? What am I looking for in it? And does it help me realistically become like Jesus? Okay, if it's, you know, and again, if it's like a random podcast about history, whatever, whatever, that's fine. I'm saying stuff that's actually about like how to live. Okay, so again, the topic, how to live. Okay, there's a lot of stuff out there on a lot of topics. And some of the stuff even claims to be Christian. Okay, there is uh, a guy on TikTok who promotes Christian polyamory and Christian pornography. He's got millions, I know, millions of people who check it out. Love the guy. Um, and so, so again, just, are you paying attention to what's being brought your way and why, uh, could be podcasts, could be authors, um, could be therapists. Okay. Uh, my friend, Will Mitchell's front row. He's a therapist. I love therapists. So my favorite, one of my best friends in the world are therapists. Okay. Therapists will tell you there's such thing as a bad therapist. Okay. There are good therapists and bad therapists. The mentor of mine, he said, uh, when people tell me I'm going to a counselor, it doesn't mean anything to me. He's a church leader. He said, it's like, telling me I go to church now. I'm like, that could be real good or real bad depends on the church, depends on the therapist. And some people look to their therapist in ways that they don't look to the Bible. The therapist is giving them a worldview. Other, other thing real quick. Um, there's a big movement with parents to be like, I'm not going to tell my kids what to believe. Like, I'm not going to put a worldview on them. And you just need to know someone's going to do that. So it's like, I'm letting them pick. They're not going to pick A professor or a therapist or a random person, if they're good, it'll be great. But if they're bad, it'll be bad. Someone's going to tell them what to believe very forcefully and very authoritatively. And they're going to go, yep, okay, that's it. And if it's not the way of life, it's not worth it. So, again, it's like you're not being as open-minded as you think. You're just handing them off to someone else to do what you should be doing. And, again, they may not be great, whoever that is. Okay? Uh, By the way, big love therapy, we spend tens of thousands of dollars a year on therapy subsidies for our church. I'm not anti-therapy, but your therapist, sh- I, I would encourage you, man, nine times out of 10, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, things like your emotions, your relationships, man, God has a way of handling that stuff. And the world has a way of handling that stuff. And there's some times it goes together. There's other times it doesn't. And so when at all possible, man, I would encourage you to have a follower of a, a therapist who's a follower of Jesus who wants to see you follow Jesus. Does that make sense? Um, that impacts the care that they give you. Okay. Um, that's one example. Uh, Jesus assumes false teaching though. Here's the other thing. Jesus assumes false teaching is out there, which is something we don't really assume anymore. We're like, man, everyone, if they're nice, like they, if they mean good, if they're nice, um, Jesus assumes false teaching is out there. That a message can be false and that there are many prevalent false messages. Um, how you guys doing? Yes. It's feeling pretty fundamental. Okay. You guys. All right. I'm, this isn't my favorite kind of stuff, but, but it's here. All right. Again, with the advent of social media, podcasting, and the growing number of advertisements we see on any given day, we're getting overloaded with less than gospel messages. Okay? Um, three spaces where, where messages are coming your way. The first one's is advertising. Uh, ads. Selling you the desire to be, to feel, to have through a product or experience. Okay? Isn't it crazy? Like you're scrolling and then the, a thing, pop, you're like, I think I need this. I was on a sports website the other day and I was like, I need those shoes. I wasn't there for shoes. I was there to see one highlight from one game. Right? Again, man, it just comes your way. And, it's, and, again, advertising is never, like, if you need new shoes, these could be a good option for you. If you're looking for something within this price point and this color, it's like, do you want to be sexy, fun, cool, and smart? Get these guys. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, That's what it is all the time. Um. Uh, another one, this is like the most taboo. Th- I think this is our golden calf. I've alluded to it already. Entertainment. Entertainment. Is he going to say there are shows you shouldn't watch? There are shows you shouldn't watch. <laughs> shows, music, movies. That's, and again, here's the thing. Um, I'm not going, they're going to make you <laughs> like, dirty or whatever. It, Like, whatever. Like my point is this. What's the impact it has on you over time? Okay, If you receive a message hundreds of times over, okay? Um, again, for example, they did, Man, I don't have numbers on this. I'm just going to say the vast majority. I think it was over 90% of the sex scenes on any TV show alluded sex, sex scene, whatever. It's not involving married people. So again, as kids grow up watching that, you got to understand over time, it's like sex can be with anyone, anywhere, anytime. That's, does that make sense? That's not what they're saying. They're like, Hey guys, here's the moral of the story. But it's, Im- it's implicit in the content over time. So, again, I'm not saying don't watch. I'm just saying you have to understand as you watch watch discerningly. If you're watching with your kids, to talk about it. You, or even with yourself, with your friends, whatever. Like, hey, how does this impact us? Um, I'm not saying it's wrong to read novels, watch movies, or enjoy arts that captures the brokenness of the world, the reality of sin, or its consequences. But are you discerning what you are watching? Or are you so engrossed in entertainment that you're letting it shape your view of the world over time? Um, I don't know if you guys saw, like, two weeks ago, there was, like, the Sam Smith Grammys Award thing. You guys see that, right? Um, now, the thing that was wild about it was uh, a lot of conservatives were, like, freaking out because he was dressed like the devil, okay, which is just dumb, okay? Like, you don't need to freak out. The devil doesn't look like that. He's not wearing an unflattering red suit and some horns, right? That's not what he's doing, okay? And again, the thing about that was, was missed was, is, like, this doesn't really matter. Um, the content of the song that we're vibing out on is the real problem. Because the song is all about uh, cheating on your wife while your kids are home. And um, the lyrics glamorize, right? Leaving your kids at home while you, while you act out sexually. And if you have been around the horror of sex addiction or adultery and the impact it has on families and children, like, it's not cool. Right? Even if it has a good beat. Like, does that make sense? Now, again, I'm not telling you not to listen song. I'm just saying, are we aware of how we're shaped over time with these messages? it's a heartbreak it's like not cool at all if you stream that hundreds of times just because it has a sick beat again all this stuff slowly causes you to have a certain set of values so entertainment preaches at us all right now again i'm telling my fundamentalist ran on entertainment but generally as far as you, say, do you does it even do you even does that even factor into what you watch or do does that make sense And then lastly, uh, I call these the evangelists is my third E. These are people who directly tell you, these are like social media influencers and stuff, influencers, podcast hosts, you need X for your life to work out, okay? This is the stuff, a nonfiction books, self-help world, podcasts, YouTube channels, which again, with all this stuff I just mentioned, there's some good and some bad in all of it. But I think we just just jump in and act like it's all good and then it impacts us over time. Um, So how do we discern if the, the messengers are false? Okay, and Jesus tells us next, This is where we're going to close. Jesus says, You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered by thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. So Jesus goes, here's how you can know who a false teacher is. And the big one is, it's, it's what I'll call the life test or the character test. The people who you let speak into your life and to the direction of your life and to the way that you're on should be people whose character you know is good. Not perfect. That person doesn't exist, but good. They're doing the work of becoming like Jesus and are seeking to become, uh, to, seeking to be, become like him. This means the p- This also means, if that's true, that the people who you let speak into the most important parts of our lives should be people we actually know. I can appreciate and learn from podcasts. They should be my greatest influence spiritually. Does that make sense? I can grow and learn from, you know, from podcasts and stuff, but, but again, if I'm getting like counsel, uh, for my marriage or my parenting or my whatever. It's like, it's good to actually know the people that you're dealing with. I mentioned this before, but I think people, we, we uh, millennials obsess over what's what's in our food, right? The ingredients, the allergies, the ethical treatment of the animals, the origin of the eggs, what color eggs. And we're like, here's a podcast on how to do marriage. I'll, t- I'll, I'll listen to anything. I'll consume anything at a content level. Man, we've got to be smarter than that. We should continue to look at what we take in, but understand it's not just the physical stuff you take in. It's, it's relational, emotional, spiritual. The ways your emotions are played against you to take on ungodly perspectives. Um, the message test, uh, this is a big one. Um, does the message encourage you to obey Jesus? Um, Jesus later, later on says... Um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And the will of my Father in heaven throughout the Gospels is synonymous with the teaching of Jesus. He reveals the Father's will to us. He reveals the Father to us and the Father's will to us. And so does the message encourage you to obey Jesus? Okay. And then lastly, um, they have to actually be in relationship with Jesus, need to know him. Um, again he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Now, it's clear they don't know Jesus. One of the reasons we know that is because they point to their works as evidence of why they should be saved. Can you imagine like arguing with Jesus about getting into heaven or whatever? You're like Jesus, you owe me, man. Look at this stuff I did. Like, you don't get it. Like, you're in the wrong game, right? The, the word for knowing here is the word translated as sexual intimacy in Greek translations of the Old Testament. It's a deep relational knowing. It's not cognitive knowledge. Jesus knows everyone. <laughs> but is he intimate with us? Are we intimate with him? So family, the people we let speak in need to be followers of Jesus with observable godly character who encourage us to follow Jesus faithfully. Those are the people who should be the biggest influences in our life. They encourage us onto the narrow good path. By the way, I don't like hard stuff, like just for fun. I'm not that type A guy, like I want to run a marathon just to do it, right? Like you've seen my, you know what's happening here, right? I don't just like choose hard to choose hard, but here's what I know. The, th- the best things in life often require hard work and the things that are free aren't usually very great. And so it's same, the same is true with the path of our life. Anything worth truly giving yourself to, anything worth living for requires something from you. I don't know about you. I want to build a life and lead a mark. I don't want to just let, hey, uh, my Eulogy be, life happened to that guy. He was born and everyone around him dictated who he became. And then he died. From family of origin to algorithms to his own appetites to fast food commercial, like, like that just dictated who he was. And then he died. I want to be someone who, who walks the good path and builds something with the king of the universe that I can give to others. And man, that's available to all of us. And so this morning, I want to ask you, so literal come to Jesus moment. What path are you on right now? Like, are you actually living for Jesus? Is he the highest priority in your life? I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying you don't struggle with sin. I'm not saying you, all you do is pray and read your Bible. I'm saying like the aim of your life, it really is to know him and to love him and to help others know him and love him and to express his love through your vocation and your work. And I'm not talking about doing your work so that you can share the gospel. I'm saying, like, even the work itself, you go, that reflects who Jesus is. Like, my life is meant to paint a picture of his goodness and his beauty and to experience his goodness and his beauty. Is that what you're really about? And does your life reflect that? Uh, This week, we're going to send out an email that has, it has, like, 17 statements that should be true of a follower of Jesus based on the Sermon on the Mount it's kind of a summary and again i don't want to use it as a condemning mark but like am i actually moving towards this stuff so for example when grant preached on lust and you have an issue with lust have you moved on that or you're like oh it's so good for you know have you moved on it we can move on that if you realize i have an anger issue after my sermon on anger we can move on that we can get you help we'll we'll even help you find a therapist okay we're we're pro-therapy if you're struggling in your marriage when grant talked about marriage um we can get you help with that we can talk about that does that make sense for wrestling with anxiety, for wrestling with, um, when we talked about what Jesus believes about the Bible, when he calls his people to believe about the Bible, and you're wrestling with doubts around the Bible, we'd love to help with that. But what we can't do is just go, ah, yeah, that's cool, you know? That's cool for you guys. Again, are are we moving on these things Jesus calls his followers to be? And as hard as they might be, they really are worth it. Let's pray. Um, Father, I thank you that... You didn't leave me, and by extension, humanity, on the path we were on, the path that we chose. In Colossians, it says we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of your beloved son. I think about uh, playing Mario Kart with my kids and how on some of the tracks you can like fall off the track And there's like a cloud ghost guy with like a fishing pole that like pulls you up and puts you back on the path. And you do that with us all the time. You'll come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. Walk in my ways, walk in my ways, walk in my ways. There is freedom and joy and peace you're looking for everywhere. And I actually have it. You can bring your anxiety to me and your anger to me and your sexual dysfunction to me and your fear about finances to me your existential crisis to me. You can bring it to me and I will help you. I will shape you. I will set you free. I have a way that leads to life. And so Lord, would you empower us to choose wisely? I thank you that you know that there are times we do walk off the beaten path and you do, you do bring us back. And the ultimate act of bringing us back and setting us on it in the first place is you coming and living and dying and rising in our place. And so, right now, as we move towards communion, Jesus, would we remember you don't just point to a path, you created a path with yourself. You laid down your life to prove you were a trustworthy guide to follow on the path. And so, Lord, as we go to communion, would we, um, would you remind us of how much you have forgiven us? But also of how much you, how much you love us. You paid a big price because you loved us so much. And I pray, God, that that would, um, that would cause us to believe you and trust you and surrender. Maybe some of these areas we haven't surrendered to you that you've unpacked in the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for being a faithful guide and a faithful Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.